Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a Monday on Flyers Daily, and on Mondays, it is Mondays with Meltzer and a special Ask Billy segment here as well. You read his work on PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Meltzer. Bill, how are we doing? I am doing well. Dog days of summer. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, it's 66 days until yep. the team opens against New Jersey on October 13th. But camp, I guess, is uh, about, I guess, like 45, 47 days away, something like that. That's but Before we know it, it'll be here. As I said, August is when everything slows down and feel, it feels like you know an eternity until anyone's on the ice. But at least, at least some, some things between now and then, the World Juniors and other things, too. So, uh, you know, so there's at least some hockey going on. The hockey community is going to get woken up by the World Juniors in, in some kind of way here as it begins this week. And the Flyers got a couple of players, four players in total, but a couple on Team Canada, Elliot Denoyer, Tyson Forster. So good opportunity to look at these two players that are getting closer and closer to NHL ready. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot of positive about, uh, you know, the World Juniors being postponed. But, but in the case of uh, Forster, you know, he had the uh, shoulder injury and the surgery, so it actually worked out for him to be able to play. And you know, the, w- the wouldn't have happened had it gone on as scheduled. So, uh, you know, that that's a great opportunity for him to get power play time and show that the shoulder is healed and, and get ready for the first pro season. It, it also allows these players, Bill, to get a jump on camp, play some competitive hockey in August. And, you know, I can imagine you go into camp, you feel a little better about your game because you're game ready. Yeah, for sure. You're, you're, you're thrown right on into it. You know, you just uh, you just hope from a team perspective that, you know, you avoid any injuries. Flyers have had way too many of those. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a World Junior World Junior Championships are always great hockey. You know, the intensity level, teams, teams uh, you know, they, they rise they rise to their highest level by the emotion in the tournament, the entertainment level. I mean, I, I love the World Juniors. And for especially Canadian kids to put on that Maple Leaf jersey uh, sure. to play in World Juniors means a ton, too. I remember talking to Carter Hart about that, playing for your country up there. It's a huge deal. And we'll have short turnaround to the next World Juniors. So I'm assuming they get on schedule in late December again? That is correct. Yeah, the uh, next World Juniors will be played on schedule. And uh, there should be uh, you know a couple of Flyers prospects in there. You're Like like uh, Cutter Gauthier, for example, I think is a pretty good shot for for the 2022-23 tournament. So, you know, so it's uh, yeah, a lo- long time coming, but there's a lot to look forward to also. No doubt. And it's great to get hockey back on the ice once again. And I, for one, am glad that it's going to wake up the hockey community a little bit because I get a little tired of the sleepy part of the summer that we're in right now. Uh, Bill, so I wanted to take on some questions. And, you know, we kind of waited a couple weeks for the dust to settle from the offseason and the moves and, and what took place and, frankly, what didn't take place. And, I know immediately there was a lot of emotion on Twitter uh, about the Flyers offseason, and there's still some pretty hot emotion out there now. But I wanted to kind of wait a little bit to let it kind of people settle and really think about things and not just react emotionally. So we have some good Twitter questions to get to in this episode. So let's start it off with Eddie Maria. He tweets it and says, now that we have a better picture of the staff and players that are going to make up the 2022-23 version of the Flyers, What's a reasonable expectation of how the season unfolds? More points than last year? Make the playoffs? Win a round in the playoffs? You know, I'm not ready to go there into the playoffs just yet. And obviously, a lot is still going to be predicated on injury. They had the third most games lost, man games lost last year to injury in the NHL. I know the number one team was the Montreal Canadiens. 
And, you know, it's hard to overcome that. It, can that happen again? Sure. Will it happen again? I don't know. So it's hard to answer that. On paper, I don't know that they're a better team than the team that started last year. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, going on paper from from the team that started last year, which I think uh, there were hot, a lot of expectations of the Flyers being a playoff team going into last year. You know, I don't think there are any expectations uh, of the Flyers being a playoff team. I mean, you know, you get you get people going to the extreme where, you know, they're, they're one of the two worst teams in the league, three worst teams. I don't see that either. I think it's going to be a better team just by virtue of just by virtue of structure and hopefully better health. But uh, you know, it's it's such a long climb. You know, the Flyers. You know, the the cutoff in the Eastern Conference last year was 100 points. So the Flyers basically have to improve by about 40 points to get to last year's cutoff point. That's a, that's a mighty tall order. But I think I think it'll be a better team. I, I'm, I'm a good chance of being I think a significantly better team just just by virtue of again better structure and better health and hopefully a couple of young players stepping up and the team looking a little deeper. But uh, you know, it, it's way too early to say this is a, a you know win a, win a playoff round, getting in the playoffs or whatever. A lot of things have to go right, um, one of which you know, we talked about the health. I mean, I'm still very worried about the goaltending situation. Carter yeah. Hart has to have a not a consistently you know, just a, not just a consistently strong year, but a healthy year the whole season. Um, that that worries me quite a bit, and just you know, just having the pieces gel. I mean, there's a lot of continuity, but there are some there are a few new players. Um, but I think I think a realistic expectation, a fair expectation, are that it's a better team and a team that's, you know, for, and I know hard, hard to play against is the buzz phrase that gets getting, you know, used over and over and over again, but, it, but a team with a little more resiliency to it, a team that's not digging itself holes early in games or, or especially in second periods where no matter what would happen in the first, it seemed like the wheels would fall off in the second and some, you know, so many winnable games that they, they left points on the table. I mean, I think being being better in those just those basic areas should make for a better team. Obviously, better special teams come with that too. Um, but I, I think an improved team is a fair expectation, and a playoff team is uh, a very lofty expectation. Let's uh, let's get into the season, see where they are Thanksgiving and midseason, then we could more realistically say, okay, what kind of shot do they have? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, I totally agree with you. The health thing will go a long way. I mean, at points last year. It was an AHL team. I mean, there was, I mean, there was East Coast League. Hayden Hodgson, right, <laughs> came out of nowhere and you know scored a goal for the Flyers. Oh, they, maybe they found something. The guy's been in the coast his entire career. There's a reason for that, and that we're that far down the depth chart. But you brought up Carter Hart in your answer, and I want to get to a question from at uh, Soccer Dad PA Philly fan on Twitter, and he says, "How long do you give Carter Hart this season before realizing he's not the one?" Now, again, I, I've I've said this a thousand times. And I'll say it again, environment matters. And environment has mattered. We saw Carter Hart have really good regular seasons. We saw one year he struggled on the road but was good at home. But the year prior, he was better on the road than he was at home. And then we saw him in the bubble where he was outstanding for the Flyers. And I'll just go back to this real quick in regards to environment. Because Thomas Grice and Yaro Halak were the two goaltenders for the New York Islanders. In Doug Wade's last season as the head coach there, and also John Tavares' last season, 17-18. Now, Thomas Grice in the 17-18 season, though, had an 892 save percentage. 
prior to that, in the two years prior to that, a 925 and a 913, and then a 927 and a 913 after with Barry Trotz. Jarl Halak on that same team that gave up the most goals in the NHL, 2017-18. He had a 908 save percentage. The two years prior, 919 and 915. The two years after, 922 and 919. Environment matters in the NHL. When they lost any destructure they had under Doug Waite, it went to crap. And they both had their lowest save percentages of their career. Gave up the most goals in the league. Barry Trotz brought in structure and discipline. And boom, both of them had huge bounce back years. These are two same goalies that they said couldn't stop a beach ball the year prior. Then all of a sudden, a good environment. And boom, they all of a sudden can stop pucks. Sure. And, I, and I'll just add one more example into that. Turkey Bobrovsky, right? Um, won a couple of Vezina trophies because he had all, you know, he had great structure around him. And not that, you know, obviously Bob was a very talented goalie. But when things started falling apart and, you know, towards the end in, in Columbus, he had an awful season. His final year and his first year in his first year in Florida was a terrible year after signing the big contract, it you is, know, and yeah. then, and then, you know, although Florida is an offensive team, but he had all, all kinds of goal support and all of a sudden, you know, goaltending wasn't a problem. Again. And it, it's, it, you can't really, you can't really, you can't really separate the two things. You know, they're, they're, they always go hand in hand, you know, and, and great structure and team D will lift up, uh, you know, decent goaltending to be very good goaltending, very good goaltending to lift up, you know, a, a decent but not a spectacular defense to to be better. But one will also pull the other one down too. Yep. And, and if one if one is bad enough for long enough, the other one will go with it. Yeah. And that that's always been the way of hockey. Always will be the way. And you know, I think we've said so many times on the show of all the problems that the Flyers have and have had. Goaltending really hasn't been one of them. Now, last year, it wasn't one of the problems. You know, at the at the All Star break, Carter had a Carter had a nine fifteen save percentage, and we were talking about how if the team played better D, that probably would have been worth another one percent on his save percentage. Well, that nine twenty five range is just about Vezina range. Yeah. So you know, and then and then you know, and then after the All Star break, he frankly was not very good. He was hurt a lot and didn't play all that well and. The numbers sank, uh, you know, went down to about 905. But for most, the majority of last year, two thirds of the year, I mean, we were talking about Carter Hart being the maybe not the runaway Bobby Clark Trophy winner, but certainly the favorite around the All Star break. And then it just, you know, it just didn't ultimately pan out that way. But you know, Carter Hart, Carter Hart is a very talented goalie. He's only he's only getting now to where some goalies even. Become become number one goalies in the NHL. A lot of goalies come up in the league, 24, 25, and they hit their prime a little bit later. And that's just that's just the goalie development cycle. So that's uh, you know I guess I know I know it's nothing we haven't said before, but I think I think that need to be reiterated on, on Carter. Yeah, it, it is one of the things going into the season that is a worry for me because you brought it up to the backup goaltending position. You know, coming in with Felix Sandstrom. And a 33-year-old that's played not very much in the NHL. And it's just one of those things where you look at it and you go, okay, Carter hasn't had a season where he hasn't been on the shelf for some period of time. Now, sure. you know, you don't know if, if the situation is different. They're playing really meaningful games. If he would have 
had to play through those things, we don't know. But, you know, the backup goaltending position is is a question mark going in here and one that I'm not fully comfortable with. I wasn't comfortable with the original plan with Fedotov, let alone this plan now with uh, Sandstrom and, you know, a 33-year-old veteran. Yeah, I, it has – while I'm while I'm comfortable with Hart as a number one, as a better situation in that regard, it kind of reminds me in a way in, in 2018-19 when, you know, they're, we're crossing their fingers that Pickard was going to hold the fort down and – Certainly did not do that. I mean, that was that was even the you know with the goaltending carousel, and you know it it worries me. I mean, the Flyers they had no cap space to go get a goalie, so they're relying on a, a an unproven goalie and a very good AHL goalie, but a guy who really has very little NHL experience. You know, history tells you that that's going to catch up with you sooner or later, and no, no doubt. And, and even if even if Carter. Even Carter gives you sixty games, but you still need twenty-two out of the other guys. Yeah. So, it 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 concerns me, and uh, you know, and it's it's not something that's talked about as much with maybe some bigger names that are out there who did not end up in Philadelphia. I'm talking about position players, right? The Johnny Goudros, whatnot. But the the goaltending depth is not as good as it was a year ago. I was comfortable with Martin Jones as number two, and he had a pretty good year. So that that's an area that the Flyers may not be as good as a year ago, and they don't. There really aren't very many areas that they they have much room to not be better than a year ago. So it's it's a concern. Yeah, um, Alex Arid. Uh, uh, I probably said your name wrong, Alex, and I'm sorry. Um, he says the 2019-20 season. That's my question. Was it a fluke? If not, how did the team end up in a stabilization year two seasons after? What could have been a deep playoff run. I don't look at the 1920 season as a fluke because, I mean, that was a legitimately good team, seventh yeah. in scoring, seventh in goals allowed, you know, top 10 in both of those categories, solid power play, good penalty killing, veterans and young players and everything in between contributing. And it wasn't all predicated on one guy just having a career year and scoring 45 goals. It, the offense was spread around. Not a lot of changes happened from that year prior when Hextall uh, was fired and Scott Gordon was made the coach. I mean, Pitlick, Niskanen, uh, the removal of Gudis in that Niskanen deal. There wasn't a lot of big changes. There. I mean, Kevin Hayes was the big signing and AV's first year, but you also, you know, you didn't have Nolan Patrick that season. So, I mean, I don't look at that as a fluke, but how did we end up in the stabilization year two years later? That might be its own episode. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I've I've turned that over in my head many many times, um, but it wasn't it wasn't a fluke as you said. If you're if you're top ten and you said number seven both in goals against and in, in goals per game, and also the number one stingiest team in the NHL in terms of fewest shots allowed per game, that was huge too. Yeah, it's like twenty eight point six or yeah. something. Crazy. Yeah, and you know that that was the year Carter Hart actually broke Bertie Perron's uh, you know home home ice records for. Uh, save percentage. I think it was number two all time and goals against at home and had that stellar record at home. Not not so good on the road, but fantastic at home. But that was the best year of his career so far. And that went in with buy-in structure, all, all those other things and, and on top of him him playing well. Um, they also didn't lose back-to-back games, Bill, from like January 3rd until the bubble in the second round against the Islanders when they went down three games to one. No, absolutely. That, and that was something else too that year. They were they were 500 in October. 
but then they had the best record in the league in November. Uh, December, they were unbeatable at home. They just couldn't win on the road. And that was also the month when all the except with Oscar Lindblom came came down. Um, you know, they had that road trip from hell right after right after Christmas that was brutal. After yeah, Oscar's and diagnosis. They, yeah. And then they got uh, you know, then they caught fire the rest of the way. So, you know, basically from November on, they were one of the best teams in the NHL. It wasn't just it wasn't just a a six week high period or something. That was just they were really good all season. They were a very good hockey team that year. So I, I you know, I, I think that I think you can look at the areas where you know where the decline happened, the goals against ballooning again, shots per game going way up again, quality of chances against going way up, right? And and for a little while they were actually outscoring their mistakes and they stopped scoring. And you know, offense was an issue last year too. So we know what the whys are much harder to explain. Yeah. You know, I, I mean the part of it is part of it all ties into, you know, the things that they were buying in on AV and everybody was on board with in year one. He kind of lost the team in year two and never got it back. And then, and then Mike Yo was in a pretty thankless situation. There was so much, there was so much process wise that had gone wrong that he spent the rest of the year just trying to get a normal process going and, and had to do it with a, with a skeleton coaching staff too. Didn't even have, didn't even really have a, you know, a power play coach till near the end, you know, they, they guys, they had guys filling in. So it, there were, there were a whole, there were a whole lot of reasons why, uh, for, for what rather the whys are, the whys are much harder. You know, we, we could certainly do a whole show on trying to deconstruct the whys. I think, I think some of it also has to do with, you know, the, the room itself. Right. And, yeah. and, um, you know, there were, there were guys who were on board and guys who weren't on board and, Guys are trying to get back on board. So, yeah. you know, it's an ongoing thing. Yeah, I mean, it's full CSI episode uh, to figure that out. I mean, pandemic, but every team dealt with the pandemic. Some clearly dealt with it better than others. You know, you can go, well, the first domino to fall was Matt Niskanen retiring, maybe. Um, and look, we may never truly know. We probably won't. It's probably a host of different reasons. And but some controllable, some uncontrollable. Some where they just didn't handle things properly and handle things well. I mean, it's amazing to go from the 1920 and, you know, game seven of a second round against the New York Islanders and to a team that the coach was persona non grata pretty much completely. And he lost the group insanely quick. It's it's yeah. almost hard to believe. Um, Rich tweets in Flyers fan 65 and he says the Flyers will be a better team next, uh, this year then people give them credit for it. They'll pick up a backup goalie when the preseason starts and players get released. My question is how many rookies start the season with the club and what's the most rookies the Flyers ever started a season with? Um, first of all, players getting released. I mean, if somebody's on a PTO, that is the market, I guess you're thinking, and get a backup goalie. That's basically where they are right now. I don't know. You don't just release a player like it's the NFL and he can go to market. It doesn't work like that. Um, so I wouldn't be looking for a backup goalie um, after training camp or something like that uh, and grab other players. But as far as the rookies go, Bill, I would imagine the rookie question is 1985. Is it 84, 85? Yeah, we, that, that came up once before. Um yeah, they had so many young players on that team. Um, you know, Zezel Tockett were rookies. Zezel Tockett, Derek Smith yeah. was there. You know, they they had they had a lot of young players. Um, I was I 
Sorry, I, I might have been five or six. Five or six might have, might be the all-time record. That, that's, a, that's a huge number, obviously, on a 21-man roster. So, I, I, so you know, in, in that range, certainly certainly uh, the 84-85 team was the gold standard of how to win with the young players. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, think it, I think it's right around there. In terms of rookies this year, um, you know, there's – there's not that many, you know. There's, it's funny. There's, there's not a ton of open roster spots. Um, I, I think that you may have one or two. Remembering that uh, Lazinski and, and Allison are both still rookie eligible in the NHL. They're older rookies, so one of those guys might make it. Um, Isaac Ratcliffe might make it. I don't see a young D making it, like a you know, like a Zamula type, just because, you know, or, or Adder, just because. There's not the spots. I think I think they're accounted for. Um, and the and other you have line, Justin Braun. So like bringing Adder yeah. up, get him more playing time with the Phantoms, and see if you right. can displace him at some point by his play. No, exactly. So you know, I, I think there might be one, two maximum. York doesn't even qualify as a rookie this year. York got, yeah. York played 30 games last year, so he no longer has rookie status. So you know, I, what what I think you could see on the other hand is younger players playing bigger roles. And I think that that to me is more important than the rookie question specifically. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, Cam York and taking the next steps is one of those big things that we're looking at this year. As far as uh, Denoye and Forrester, those guys, I think it's really far-fetched that they would be able to, to make this team out of camp. But it brings us to our next question. And it's a good one from Carter Hemrick. He says, what is a reasonable goal for the young players on the roster? And he brings the names he has are York, Frost, Tippett, Cates, Farabee. So let's take it one by one. Bill, uh, Cam York, I would imagine he's going to be on that third pairing with Justin Braun, a good sage veteran. Uh, maybe PP2, I would think, would yep. be a good place for him as well with Tony D'Angelo taking that power play one uh, D spot. And... Uh, I imagine you know you're going to see probably like 16 to 18 minutes a night. I would I would think that's that's right in the range that I, I was going to say too. So, yeah, and and you know I, I guess I guess what the expectations are. I mean, there would be a points element to it certainly, but one of the things I think you need to bring up with points is that you know it really how many minutes are you playing, how much power play time are you getting, all that's going to affect how many points anybody can get on a team. So, you know, I, I think sometimes sometimes um, it can be deceptive, but I also sometimes you look at those points per 60 and you want to see improvement. You know, what are they doing with the ice time you give them? Are, are they being more productive? And that, that could be more important than what the flat number of points is just because of how much a guy plays or who he's playing with or, or whatever. But I, I think that uh, for York, I would say, I, I would say, you know, in every game starter, um, so no longer on that that uh, AHL NHL roller coaster, and playing you know as much as 18 minutes a game sounds about right. Yeah, I, there was a guy that tweeted me, uh, tweeted the other day, and he said Cam York is going to be a stud. Just hope Torts doesn't ruin him by being a shot blocker with his body. So I naturally quote tweeted it and said the same way he ruined Zach Warinsky. Right. Hashtag yeah. tired narratives. Uh, he's going to want you to do the right things in your own zone, but yeah. he's also going to let the player use his skill set. Uh, let's go to Morgan Frost, who we've talked about a, quite a bit here, um, and the expectations and reasonable expectations for Morgan Frost this year, which is obviously a very big season for him. 
for sure. And and I think that uh, Frost and Tippett go hand in hand if they are on the same line. Agreed. If, if one thrives, the other's going to thrive right with them. And if they're if one is struggling, the other's probably going to struggle too. Um, you know, for for Frost, I know he scored forty goals a couple times in junior hockey. I've always thought of Morgan much more as a playmaker than as a goal scorer. So I, I look more to chances he creates and how many assists he gets. Um, you know, he's capable of scoring too, but I'm not even looking for 20 goals out of him. If he gets comfortable double digits in goals, even even about 14 of them, but the assists are there, 14 goals, 30 assists would be a really good be a really good breakout year for him, uh, I would say. Particularly because I don't think he's going to play PP1. Playing PP2, you know, getting, getting um, his fair share of points in situations where and hopefully, uh, hopefully he's a guy that Tortorella gains trust in to use in overtime in a three-on-three. Yeah, or if he's got the skill set time, for it. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I want to see him get a lot of puck touches. I want to see him involved in the play and continue growing as a two-way player because that goes that goes in how much he's going to get used, how much trust the coach has in him, and ultimately in in points as well. Uh, if he's not playing in the top six. On a, on a league-wide basis, it's hard. It's hard. if you get 50 points playing in a third-line role, then you're an elite third-liner. That, that's a lot to ask right now. But if he can, if he can get 40, you know, 45 would be fantastic. So some something like that. But I mean, uh, I would say I'd say something in the 40-point range would be would be solid for Morgan. And we kind of touched on Tippett as well. What about Noah Cates? Uh, Cates, you know. Uh, Cates to me is a, such a versatile player. Is he playing that third he, line with those two? Frost, I, Tippett, and Cates? They, they were so good as a line late in the season. And I know, you know, I know Torts didn't get to see it, but I'm sure he's been told that. Um, you know, when to me, what are the elements of a successful line? And it's something that Frost had when he was in Sioux Samory, and there were there were kind of elements, you know, hints of it with the Flyers too. To me, you need you need three things on any successful line. You need a playmaker, you need a goal scorer, and you need a guy who does a lot of the dirty work, who gets in the forecheck, creates turnovers, um, you know, uh, wins puck battles, back checks, helps you break out of your defensive zone, and any any goals you get out of him, and you know, you need some obviously, but I mean, you know, he doesn't have to be a huge scorer to be an asset to that line. That's what I think that uh, that he Kate showed the ability to do, and it wasn't just on that frost line either. He did that. He did playing a little with Hayes. He did that yep. playing in different spots around the lineup. So I, that's that's what I like to see from Kate's Just really just keep doing what he did last year. He already looked yeah. like an NHL player, and uh, oh, yeah. you know, and I think he can be that guy who does a lot of the little things well on, on a line that sets the other guys up for you know for success. So. You know, while I I think that, for example, I think that Tippett has room to get more physical and, and use his body better because he has a big body. Really, the number one thing you want to tip it is goals. He has, has the scoring chances, but more of them have to become goals. I do think a 20-goal year is realistic for Tippett. Okay. Um, and Farabee, who obviously is going to start the year, um, you know, rehabbing and trying to get back from the, the surgery that he had, I think the big key with him, Bill, for me is just – that when he gets back, he's good and he's healthy. He's in the lineup to stick in the lineup and he can build on where he was a couple of years ago. Cause he was kind of in and out last year dealing with some injuries as well. 
Yeah. Uh, the number one thing I, I, I think with Farabee, because he's a very good young NHL player, A is health, as you said. B is less streakiness. You know, and, you know, it's it's not uncommon for a young player, an offensively talented young player, when um, even if he has a reputation as a two-way guy, if the points aren't coming, he might struggle a little defensively too. And, you know, Farabee's had a little, had some stretches there where his all-around game has had some downturns, and it's it's tough for a few weeks for him. Um, I, I think that comes with maturity. So I, I want to see, you know, I want to see more consistency. I'd love to see him get back to what he was doing during the, you know, during the COVID season when he, he had 20 goals whenever. I just, I, I just don't want to see those stretches of 12 games where, you know, where he, he's a he's struggling. So, you know, if, if if it's three, four games, that's fine. You just don't want it to extend. And that's the number. That's the number one thing I just want to see out of Joel, besides good health, is increased consistency. Um, let's get to the next question uh, at the Dead Rabbit. That's quite the Twitter handle CJ has. He says Proveroff for Sandheim is going to be out next season. Trade one before the season starts or at the deadline. I don't think it's a fait accompli, but uh, it is an interesting dynamic with both players for completely different reasons. Number one, Sandheim is in his final year and he's going to be a UFA is, you know, where are the flyers at the deadline? Where are the discussions? How's that chemistry this year? Again, with Rasmus Ristolainen, that's a part of that weighted equation as well. And then Provorov, you know, how does he play with Tony D'Angelo? Does he have a rebound year under John Twitter? These are all questions we don't know the answer to. I don't know. It's a fait accompli that one or both will be traded or none will be traded. I have no idea. I think there's a lot of information and part of this stabilization year is getting answers to those questions. Yeah, exactly. Hit the nail right on the head, Jason. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, if you nail me down to, to, you have to pick one. Well, it's the guy who's a year for being unrestricted. Whereas the guy is the other guy is signed. If you're, if you're not in playoff position around the deadline and there'd certainly be interest in a player like Sandheim. So in, in of that fact, if you had to say one or the other, I would say more likely Sandheim, but you know, but a lot will happen between now and then with the team and with the player himself. I, I, I uh, there hasn't been any indication he doesn't want to be here. It's just, it's tough. You know, part part of you find the term, you find the salary level. You know, Sandheim is uh, a little under five on the cap right now. I think realistically he might go to six, which is a you know, it's a nice jump for him. Um, I don't see him going much. I don't see him going much above that because he he hasn't got a lot of power play time in his career. Although at every other level he was a power play guy, but you know he's never put up huge totals points wise yet for a number of reasons. But you know, so he's he's never you know he's never been that guy who plays twenty five minutes a night for you. He's always been you know a number three, maybe maybe now the Flyers number two guy. But uh, so you know the Flyers have to kind of budget in that range for him that's doable but we'll see we'll, we'll see where he where his head is at how the team is doing and all the rest of that so um you know the, the, much much remains to be seen and, and then he's with Provorov too well you know he's had a couple couple of inconsistent seasons back-to-back inconsistent seasons so you know there was whispers coming into the summer that hey maybe he's not untouchable after all so you know I mean it would certainly be so in the Flyers' best interest, if he has a consistent season and answers those questions, then the, then the picture gets a whole lot brighter for the team. But if it's another up and down year for him, or, or you know, or whatever, 
then yeah, I mean, maybe after the season you could see him move too. It's uh, there's a lot up in the air. I mean, we we could say you know there could be a, a whole lot of changes if it's if the year is as bad as some as the the worst predictions are. Um, but you know, <laughs> there's there's a whole season to be played. So let's see let's see how much a team can achieve or overachieve and and, and roll from there. I think the biggest thing for me, Bill, is you know going into this season. Let's just park the the question mark of injuries. Yeah. Can't really ever truly park it because you got guys coming back with Couturier and Farabee and other guys. Is Hayes back to a hundred percent and going to be that Hayes we saw at the very end of last year? El- we don't know about Ellis, obviously, and any other injuries they may deal with. But that being parking that, the biggest question. I go into this season with, and I don't know the answer. I don't even know how to handicap the answer and give a prediction on it is which players are going to react to John Tortorella, John Tortorella system in this coaching staff um, in a positive way and which just aren't going to fit. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I look at, do I go, okay, is Konechny a guy that really gets his trajectory pointing in the right direction and moving up again uh, as an NHL player is, you know, a guy like Provorov, that guy. Is Sanheim a guy that's going to flourish the way Zach Warinsky flourished in Columbus getting up the ice? You know, I I don't know who's going to react to this system and this coaching staff and and make a big jump because as much as it is developing players, you know, Frost, Tippett, and these guys making their hay at the NHL level, a big part of this equation in this stabilization year is who's going to be on board for John Tortorella that he can rely on and, you know, put in a position to have great success and move the ball in the right direction for their development as NHL players. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's an ongoing dynamic after, after year two. I mean, a player could get off to a great start and then, you know, then Tortorella sees some things he doesn't like and he's all over the player. I mean, yeah. well, one, one thing with Torts is, although how's never, the player react to that, right? <laughs> so some guys, some guys, that's just what they need. And some players, they, they, you know, they start looking over their shoulders. And you just you just don't know. You, there, there's guys that maybe on paper you figure is a perfect fit for the system. And then other guys, you know, you have questions. And it doesn't it doesn't always go the way that you expect. I mean, you could go back. You don't really name the coach, right? Um, there, there are guys coming in. Like with, uh, I, you know, I, maybe, maybe to, to, to a degree, Ken Hitchcock would be a good example. You know, you, you going into that, you would have said, "Oh, he's going to love Simone Gagne," and actually, actually, their relationship was almost at a breaking point by the end of that first year. They didn't get along at all, and then later on, you know, and then, then the later part of uh, their time together, he was his most trusted or second most trusted player. So that evolves too, but you know, but it's not it's not always the guys you think going in. That's that's the whole point. Yeah, there's peaks and valleys to that coach-player dynamic like there is any relationship uh, without question. Let's wrap up on this one, Bill. Uh, Anthony Giampaolo tweets in, and he just says, any new updates on Fedotov's whereabouts or well-being? Is there any any new reporting here, Bill? Uh, well, yeah, there, there was. That was a couple of weeks ago. Well, let's start with the good news. He's fine. Physically, he's fine. Um, you know, he has his cell phone back. He can talk with his family again. The bad news is he's in Russia, he's got to serve his military service, and so he's on a military base for the next year. And that's uh, yeah. So, so he can come over after that. Potentially, yeah. It's it's a one year obligation, and then then he can then he can leave if he wants to. Yeah. And it, does that seem like we may never see him now for some reason to me? 
Yeah, well, I, first of all, you know, it's never good to miss a whole season. Yeah. And secondly, you know, secondly, once they have their hands on somebody, you know, they they may not want to let them go, right? Um, it, it's, uh, you know, the, I mean, uh, it, it's such such a dynamic and odd situation, you know, and, and it's really, from the outside, it's sometimes hard to get reliable information. You almost have to get multiple sources and say, okay, What's the most realistic scenario here? But at least, uh, you know, but at least he's seems to be physically well and healthy. There have been, you know, videos of him talking, whatever. He, he seems okay. So that that's the good part because it sounded really scary at the beginning of it. But from, from, you know, from a hockey standpoint, from a flyer standpoint, they're not getting him anytime soon. No doubt. Um, there's one other question. I don't want to tackle it in this episode because I think it's going to be it's an episode on its own. And Derek at suitable alias tweeted in and he said, and we'll take maybe this is what we'll do for next Monday. But he says, what is the actual plan for turning the Flyers into a good hockey team? And what should fans be interested in? And he said in a follow up tweet should specify long term plan because we all understand them being anything good this year would be a miracle on ice part two. So we'll think about that. I, we won't be able to speak for their plan, but we can speak to what we think their plan should be. And we'll do that next week. Bill, great stuff as always. Another Monday was Melter and uh, Ask Billy in the can. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll bring you a brand new episode coming up on Wednesday, and we'll feature the aforementioned Tyson Forster in that episode as well. I had a chance to catch up with him at Development Camp. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you Wednesday on a brand new Flyers Daily. Fight. Be my fight.